The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Fast Money starts right now. Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, one hot stock is cooling off Square sinking in the after-hours market following a huge run this year. We'll hear from CEO Jack Dorsey momentarily about the quarter and the payment sector. Plus, it's Judgment Day for retail. Shares of department stores have been sinking into their earnings reports, and it all comes down to tomorrow. We'll tell you how bad it could get and the one name that could buck the trend. And later, it's been one year since President Trump was elected, and his most important piece of legislation hangs in the balance. Tax cuts. And some Republicans are abandoning shift. We'll hear from one Republican congressman about why he is voting no in just a moment. But first, we start off developing story that one of the biggest deals of the year between AT&T and Time Warner, worth about $85 billion, could be in jeopardy following pressure from the Department of Justice after a series of threats from the Trump administration. Let's bring in our own Andrew Ross Sorkin, who helped break the story. He joins us tonight on The Fast Line. Andrew, what's the latest? Well, the latest right now is a, a back and forth almost now turning into a public battle, a spat, if you will, between AT&T, Time Warner and the DOJ. Uh, what we're hearing now uh, or what we heard originally uh, was that the companies were, were trying to um, uh, or that the companies were in touch with the DOJ. And the DOJ had said, look, the only way this deal is going to go through is if you sell CNN and the Turner assets or you sell DirecTV. Uh, that was something, obviously, that AT&T uh, and Time Warner uh, have thus far not been unwilling to do. They thought this deal was going to take place and be done uh, by the end of this year. Uh, that now uh, is in question. But the real question now is whether AT&T, uh, whether the DOJ is willing to sue and whether, uh, on the flip side, uh, uh, AT&T and Time Warner are willing to press ahead and, and participate uh, in a suit and, and, def and defend the deal. Uh, and uh, all expectations on uh, our reporting suggest that that may be very well where this goes. Uh, so it's been fascinating. And then there's the, when I said the public spat, uh, there was a statement by uh, Randall Stevenson's uh, CEO, um, or AT&T CEO, Randall Stevenson, who came out publicly uh, this afternoon and said that he never uh, offered to uh, sell uh, CNN or divest CNN. So it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating. Meanwhile, by the way, on the other side, we're hearing from the DOJ side that it was offered up. Andrew, you've spoken to Randall Stevenson in the past. What, what is your understanding as to the strategic intent of this tie-up? I'm just trying to understand at what point does this deal become strategically um, not good anymore if they have to divest some assets? Well, look, I, I don't think that they are prepared to divest assets, uh, period, full stop. Um, and that's been my understanding. We're going to be interviewing Randall Stevenson tomorrow uh, afternoon, uh, and so we'll get more on this. But 
My real sense uh, is that, and, and I think the expectation even inside AT&T and Time Warner was that to the degree there was an offering of you sell DirecTV or CNN Turner, uh, that the DirecTV piece was almost a straw man to sort of force the CNN Turner issue, uh, meaning uh, there's, it's almost impossible for AT&T to sell and divest DirecTV. And I, I, there's some view, at least inside Washington now, that this would have been a way uh, for uh, tr the Trump administration and the DOJ to claim some form of victory uh, and perhaps an easier way uh, for AT&T to let a deal go like this get done because CNN was never the goal line of this deal. This was always about HBO. It was always about all of the film studios. It was always about all of the other content. Uh, the CNN Turner piece uh, was, was, was secondary uh, in the totality of this transaction, but, is, but still is a big part of it. Andrew, it's Karen. Let me ask you something. I don't know what the merger agreement provides for, but let's say AT&T decides to sue. Does Time Warner have to stick around for the entirety of that? Is there a drop-dead date they could maybe think about, all right, we don't know this is going to happen. Maybe we should look to sell ourselves elsewhere. You know what? I don't know the answer to that. I need to dig into, actually, the, the, the merger agreement itself. Uh, my expectation is that, that AT&T has an obligation uh, to continue uh, to pursue the deal even under even under duress, if you will, or, or under pressure from the government, and I believe that Time Warner would try to hold them to that. Hey, Andy, you know, uh, Andrew, some other news sources are, are kind of reporting that this is literally something that's coming from the president. You know how he feels about CNN. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Are you hearing anything about that? It seems pretty petty, and if it is that, is that the sort of thing that's likely to blow over anyway? Look, there's been a lot of speculation even the last several hours about the comments that Trump has made about CNN being fake news, the comments he has made even on the campaign trail about wanting to break up a deal of this magnitude. So you could see, um, perhaps from a political standpoint, uh, how uh, we could be arriving at a moment like this. Having said that, uh, the courts uh, are not political per se. So uh, we, 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 it, it may turn out to be somewhat different. I will make this one note, and, it, and it's something that a lot of people in the business have noted this afternoon. Uh, the new head of antitrust enforcement at the DOJ uh, is a fellow who was interviewed uh, before taking this job uh, just on television once and asked what he thought of the deal. And uh, before he ever had this job, he thought that the deal was fine and actually there was very little uh, antitrust law or theory that could block a transaction like this. So it's fascinating that he now gets into this role and apparently has a very different view uh, of what this deal really means. All right. Andrew, thank you so much for phoning in. Andrew Ross Sorkin. And you won't want to miss Andrew's big interview with AT&T CEO Randall Stevenson. That happens at the DealBook Conference tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern time. You can tune into Power Lunch and see that live. Meantime, does this deal go through? What is next for AT&T and Time Warner? I, I, there's no way for me to answer that question. But what I will answer is, how do you trade Time Warner on the back of this? So I look at it, and obviously the entire sector valuations have been ratcheted down. We've all had that conversation. So what, what's the right multiple for Time Warner in this environment without a deal? Let's just back that out for a second. I would th submit, you know, 12 and a half, 13 is not a ridiculous multiple for Time Warner. That gets you at about an 84 and a half, $85 stock, which interestingly enough is where we took off from at the beginning of last year or towards the end of last year, I should say. So you're getting towards levels where deal or no deal, not to play the video game or the TV game or whatever <laughs> that game yeah. is, you're getting towards levels where it probably just makes sense as a standalone to be long the name. Yeah.
Karen, what's yeah. your reaction as a risk arb kind of person when right. you see this? And then you also put this with the backdrop of knowing that Disney is or had been interested in buying some assets from 21st Century Fox. Uh -huh. um, as an ARB, I, I wouldn't like it because I think, I mean, it seems to me like AT&T very well may say, fine, we're, we're going to court. That is a very protracted timeline. Who knows what it'll be? Also, remember, the deal is not worth what the headline originally was. Because it's half cash, half stock, and AT&T has traded through the bottom, the deal's only worth like 101 now. Um, so I actually think Time Warner has some more downside, and I don't think it gets resolved quickly. So as an ARP, I would not be inclined to jump in right now. Pete? You know, Amy Klomachar is a Democratic senator from Minnesota. Mm -hmm. October of 2016, they announced this deal. She was against it. And they wanted to get them in front of the Senate and talk about this thing and go through everything. So I don't know that it's just a Trump thing. This is, this is both sides of the aisle. And they talk about competition. They talk about customers and is this fair and all the rest of it. So the interesting thing from a trading aspect of, about two weeks ago, we had some monster put buying in Time Warner, TWX. We had some huge buying. They were buying 7,000 of the November 95 puts paying a dollar. Those are now worth $7. And there's still plenty of, if your multiples are right, guy, there's so, plenty of room for these to still so Pete, work. What's funny what you said about the Democratic senator from Minnesota. They're yeah. the ones who are supposed to oppose vertical deals like this. Okay, right. There hasn't been a vertical deal blocked like this four in like years. four decades or right. something like that. Okay, So the fact that the president is obviously, we know he's pretty used to obstructing justice. Okay, There's no reason why he did not make it known that he did not want this to happen. I suspect this blows over. I suspect this deal gets done, to your point. Okay. okay. So the deal gets and, done. And, and so you I, think the deal I bought gets the stock done. on Monday. Day, and I'm down. So I bought a little more today, still down, and I added a call spread in December against it. Okay, so I'm kind of giving myself a little room here, but I just do. You should have bought a put spread. Okay, to hedge Pete. yourself, okay. right? I mean, I'm just, uh, no, I mean, okay. as an option you know, guy, listen, if I'm going to be buying right. the stock, I'm going to buy Let's a put spread. Because I'm, like, in I'm just telling right you what here. I did. I but added if, a little yeah. leverage to my long stock uh, But if you're wrong, position. at least you've got something covering you to the downside. Listen, the viewers know I'm rarely wrong. Here. So, so, so. <laughs> Here's the question. Is this, uh, does this indicate a more active Department of, Department of Justice when it comes to blocking deals? Should we be concerned about some of the I'm other just, I'm so you think, but it's the most ridiculous think, thing under a Republican on, administration that they're blocking vertical okay. integration deals like this. It's ridiculous. But do you, I mean, the key, I guess the question is, you know, could we be looking at a more activist sort of stance when it comes to deal making, activists being against Bigger is better. I, I think. To, and should we to, be concerned to, about some of the other deals that happen? Because I agree with Dan for a second. I think this is very specific to AT&T, Time okay. Warner, and some of the things yes. that you alluded to. So it may to. have been driven so by the I wouldn't make the quantum of leap of right. worrying about all deals. I understand why you might be able to do that, but I think it, this is specific to this deal. Well, and this is far more of a co competition. I mean, you know, if we're talking about semiconductors buying one another and all that type of thing, like we've seen. And we've seen that start to grow, obviously, the Qualcomm deal this week. But we've seen that throughout this year. We've seen more and more of that starting to flash up. So I don't know that it's against all deals necessarily at all. But there are specifics. And if you're in areas where the competition has already been reduced and it's going to reduce that much more, I think absolutely we're going to see more of this intervention. Let's, let's, let's do Choose Your Own Adventure. Oh, oh we can right? do that? Yeah, right? This is kind of... This choose could, Your because, Own Adventure. Because, because I want to go to New Zealand. <laughs> let's, let's say the deal does eventually go through, but AT&T has to go to court. It's uh -huh. protracted. Right. What happens to each of these stocks? How do they trade? I believe AT&T will find the bottom. We've had played this math game. There's no EPS growth there. Obviously, we, we've... 
we had our friend help me out with his name. I can't remember. Frank Moffat. Moffat. <laughs> Mr. Moffat talked about the the pitfalls. I know I'm getting old, <laughs> but the pitfalls that AT and T has in front of them now. And I think the right valuation there is probably 11 or so. That gets you down right. to a $31 right. stock. And Time Warner, so I think, finds lower. a bottom at 82 but, and a half. But back to your Time Warner trading at 12, 13 times. Why does Disney deserve to trade it up like 16? They, it, so they, to me, they I don't deserve agree a premium. They don't deserve Why as big a premium. Why does Time Warner deserve a premium? I don't think it has the same Look at well, what people are bidding properties. for. Look what assets they're bidding for. Why would Disney be interested in Fox A and then the, the only thing that the Justice Department wants uh, to AT&T right. to divest is, is the, actually the, the, you know, the good part. Let's close the no loop sense. on this. <laughs> And let me tell you this. The other adventure we're going to choose right now. Can I tell you? No, no, no. I'm not in here. No. Can I tell you something? Really so angry. if a Republican administration breaks up this vertical deal, okay, so then you know what happens? We have a limited Soft amount of time. probably comes in and buys Time Warner. So you're going to let the Japanese buy it? It's the most ludicrous thing on the planet. All hypotheticals. But here's the other hypothetical that that has more grounding in reality because there are a couple scenarios that could happen with this deal. The other scenario is that the deal doesn't happen. What happens yeah. to AT&T and Time Warner? Well, just on the sure, if the deal were to break tomorrow, they'll be short covering at AT&T just because Arb set it up. That's a brief phenomenon, though. Um, I still think there's general pressure on AT&T that's, that we've talked about a right. lot, that, that that is still there. But can I just go back for one second? To one second, because okay. we're out of time. Department <laughs> of Justice thing. I could see, oddly, this Republican administration not wanting to allow mergers where there'd be a lot of job cuts, where there's synergies that are a lot of... You know, people get eliminated. All right. Speaking of media stocks and deal making, Fox is higher in the after hour session on earnings. Let's get to Julia Borson with more. Julia. Executive Chairman Lachlan Murdoch kicked off the earnings call by saying that they will not respond to any questions about the recent press speculation about Fox doing a deal with Disney. But Lachlan Murdoch made it clear that the company believes it does not need a deal because of a need for scale, which is what many analysts have speculated. Take a listen. There is a lot of talk about the growing importance of scale in the media industry. And let me be very clear, Fox has the required scale to continue to both execute on our growth strategy and deliver increased returns to shareholders. Lachlan and CEO James Murdoch also highlighted strength at Fox, that while supporting Fox as an independent company could also be valuable to Disney. They dismissed concerns about cord cutting by saying the company now has nearly 3 million subscribers to its digital TV providers and saying that a strategy of focusing on valuable content is working. Overall, our performance underscores the success of our core strategies, including owning and investing in distinctive must-have brands and IP, distributed to global consumers every minute of every day. James Murdoch also saying they're optimistic about the potential to make more money from digital models. They say they want to make their content more broadly available on all platforms, and they say they're optimistic that Hulu will continue to help offset declines in the total pay TV universe. And overall, the whole pay TV business will grow. Now, as for concerns about NFL ratings and Fox's interest in paying for sports, they say they believe sports is a key driver of viewing, and they say they'll look at each set of rights as they come up. There wasn't a ton of news on Sky, they did say they're confident that the deal should close by the end of June 2018. Melissa? All right, Julia. Thank you, Julia Borston on Fox Earnings.
Um, Pete, he seemed to really firmly defend the, the path the company is currently on. Sure. Uh, well, what I like most about Disney and this potential deal of, with Fox, and that's obviously the part they can't really talk all that much about, but it grabs them some international, it grabs them some content, direct to the, to the uh, customer and all the rest of it. AE, you know, and you look at Natural Geographic and some of the different areas that they're going to get some content. I think a lot of that makes sense. Obviously, they're not going to be able to get all of Fox because there's just too many things that the Justice Department would never approve. But I think I like, if nothing else, and I've been very critical of him, but Bob Iger has made very few huge moves of late. He's made some great ones with Marvel and the rest, but he hasn't made the moves that we were hoping that he would to get themselves more in the streaming world. Bam is starting to look a little bit better. They're a little bit late, but this could actually augment that and actually push them further faster. All right, coming up. Retail on track for its worst year since 2008, and the big department stores are getting ready to face the music tomorrow with their earnings reports. How bad could it get? And are any of the traders buying these stocks? Plus, tax cuts are hanging in the balance if some Republicans aren't getting on board. We'll speak to one of them, Republican Congressman Leonard Lance from New Jersey, about why he's in the no camp right now. And later, there is one stock surging, nearly doubled this year. Wall Street analysts can't raise their price targets enough. We'll tell you the name and how much higher the traders think it could go. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back. Tomorrow is Judgment Day for retail stocks. As they gear up for earnings, the group on track for its worst year since 2008. And the biggest names in the space, JCPenney, Macy's, Nordstrom, Kohl's, have all been selling off into these reports down significantly in just the past month. With Macy's and Kohl's and Nordstrom reporting earnings tomorrow, do you dare buy these stocks or is it about to get a lot worse? Karen, what do you say? Uh, I don't for the big department stores. I don't have them. I am concerned about the business. If you listen to, for example, Coors, which I do own, uh, they talk about North America being one of their weaker markets, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I, I'm concerned here. Remember, Macy's, the stock is down a lot. There's a lot of debt there, though. And I love to look at the debt because I think debt markets are often much smarter than the equity markets. The debt is trading off. I think there's, there's fear here. So I, I, I don't, I don't want to be in it for tomorrow. You know, I, Foot Locker for me was a similar department store for athletic shoes. That was a very bad trade, I, so I don't want to be long Macy's here. Just want to own the brands. Yeah. Pete, on Macy's? Macy's, actually, I jumped into some yeah. today. And the reason I did was we saw some huge options come in there. This is not a long-term play for me. This is literally playing on tomorrow's numbers. And the reason I say that is even the options themselves, it was November options. They're going to expire in a couple of weeks. They're playing the earnings themselves. 20,000 calls were bought today at the 18 strike, or the 16-18 call spread is what they bought. And they sold puts to the downside. When I see something like that, Mel, it's a big enough trade. i got to be involved. I like what I was seeing. Big box can compete. I think it's really difficult on these department stores. Really difficult. You're I think on the other gonna, side. I think it's yeah. No, I, I put a short <laughs> on the XRT today. Um, again, worst chart ever, and I think that um, you're going to see probably mid 30s over the next few months here. And uh, let's just make one other point here. You know, Apple. We saw the lines for the X. You know, they stealthily raised the price on the eights. They raised the price of the X to a thousand dollar entry point. If you don't think, if if you are Apple super cycle people and you think that a lot of dollars are going to these phones, I have to assume that this is going to hit retail in the next few months. All right. Well, do any of these names look good on the charts? Let's find out with Rob Slimer, a Fundstruck Global Advisors. Hi, Rob. Hey, Melissa. Thanks very much. Well, let's start with the XRT because we've got to really look at the long term picture to get a sense of what we're looking at when we're talking about trading. So, real price in the top panel. Big uptrend from 2008 into 2011, and then you start getting this sort of toppy pattern developing. It's holding right now around that 38, 39 level. 
probably a place you could trade it if you were aggressive. But here's the key point, and this is the big picture that we've got to stay focused on. That relative performance trend is deteriorating to the downside. Think about what the banks looked like back in 2006 and 2007. That relative strength continued to deteriorate, and it was an important signal that the, relative, that, that, that the group was under a lot of pressure and to avoid it. So I think you stay clear of the XRT. I think it's a high-risk trade if you're going to play it on the long side. Let's look at a couple of names. Here's Kohl's. It's into a lot of price support, but again, long-term relative performance suggests you stay away from the stock. There's no evidence of bottom. When you take a look at... <laughs> When you take a look at Nordstrom, same type of thing. You're at some support level here in the high 30s, but relative strength is still bleeding. It's way too dangerous to be trading these stocks on the long side, in my opinion. And then lastly, when we look at Macy's, here's a name that's already broken that support, and relative strength is all the way back to where you were in 2008. Think about it. If you own an ETF, you'd be outperforming all the way through. So what do we like? Well, if you have to be in the space... You know, Home Depot, like other large cap growth names, is still one of the better stocks. There are some concerns in terms of this relative performance not leading. But again, it's a retail stock. And from a timeliness standpoint, you've come right back to that 50-day moving average. Relative to everything else, I'd rather be long Home Depot, which I think is a long-term leader, versus a lot of the other department stores and retail names. All right. Rob, thank you. Rob Slimer of Fundstrike. Good to see you. Um, Guy Dami. So basically, all the major ones that we had highlighted before... They look crappy on the charts. <laughs> crappy is that yeah. a financial so that's a technical term? Technical, technical, technical term. term. Yeah. We should do. You should put up the trade school demo or deco, whatever they call it. While I make this following point. Okay. Nordstrom's. If you look at it, I mean, talk about a round trip. This stock was like a thirty-seven and a half dollar stock last July, not this past summer. Last July had that huge rally for a number of different reasons, not least of which they were going to go private. That falls apart. Guess what? We've round tripped it. We're going into earnings. Not a crazy valuation, although I know that's not a reason to buy these stocks. But what is is a monster short interest and potential for more headlines. So for a trade, mm. Nordstrom actually might be interesting in earnings. And the discount side of Nordstrom, that, that excites me the as rack. well. The rack. Yeah, the rack. And, and on, online rack. I mean, you know, the one area where Nordstrom has actually done very, very well has been on the online, the e-commerce side of their business. Now, obviously, the flagship stores, those are killing them. I mean, that's – and they probably got to close a few more. But the off – the racks. Oh, boy. If you had to Bro. be long, Rob says, he would be long Home Depot. HD. If you had yeah. to be, Dan, would you yeah, be? It's, you know, listen, for Home Depot, it's up 23% of the year. Lowe's is only up 9% or something like that. For Walmart, that's up 30%. You have Target down 20%. You know, there seems to be a yin and a yang, you know, in every situation. Costco was just flat on the year about a month, or about a month ago, just rallied 10%. So to me, I think the whole sector, for the most part, there's a handful of leaders, and there's a lot that act like crap. Okay. So to me, though, that's why I think the XRT seems to be the thing to short on every rally. But it's why Home Depot, I think, is still attractive because even though it's run the way it has, look at the growth they have. Their online was up 23% last quarter. 23%. I mean, this is a group that's actually taking Amazon right on, head on, and winning right now. I like that about them. Still ahead, Square lower in the after-hour session. Despite an earnings beat, the stock is up more than 160% this year. This test has been bullish. So are any of our traders buying this dip? In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Abandon ship! Everyone for itself! Sums up what's going on with Republican support for Trump's tax plan. And we'll tell you which stocks could be the most vulnerable if tax reform sinks. Plus... Bitcoin is going bonkers, and something happened today that suggests it could go higher. 
We'll tell you what that is when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. More uncertainty surrounding the GOP tax bill and now a number of Republicans coming out in opposition to the plan. Elon Moy has the latest from D.C. Elon. Well, the one big problem for Republicans is that the price tag for this tax plan is now $1.7 trillion, according to the Congressional Budget Office. Now, the rules they're trying to use to pass this bill cap the cost at just $1.5 trillion. I talked to Congressman Mark Walker, who heads the Influential Republican Study Committee, and he questioned the CBO's math and objectivity, and he said that growth will take care of the deficit. This does create maybe some deficits early on. We believe that the long-term growth over the next decade, even looking at nonpartisan organizations, are saying we could be 4 4 4.5%. This will more than offset any kind of deficit leading into this issue. Another headache for the House is this new 20% excise tax on imports that would really hit multinationals. Businesses and conservative groups are against this, and we're hearing that lawmakers are trying to massage their bill to address some of their concerns. Now, the Senate is expected to release its own tax plan tomorrow. Three people briefed on it told me that the excise tax will not be a part of it. But the Senate has to work harder than the House to find ways to pay for this bill. They've got to deal with that $1.5 trillion cap, as well as a rule that says that the bill can't add to the deficit after 10 years. So those are just a few of the landmines facing Republicans, Melissa. Several members of both the House and the Senate are raising concerns about the cost and some of the popular deductions that could go away. Back over to you. All right, Elon, thank you. Elon Moy in D.C. Representative Leonard Lance is one of those House Republicans who does not support the tax plan in its current form. He joins us now. Congressman Lance, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you, Melissa. Uh, what is the crux of your opposition? Is it the repeal of the state and local tax deduction? It is. I represent New Jersey, and New Jersey sends a great deal more revenue to Washington than we receive back, and I want to, to retain the deductibility of state and local taxes. It's been in the code since 1913, and Melissa, I really don't favor paying taxes on taxes, and that's why I have the position I do. Are you worried more broadly about the Republican Party? I mean, broadly speaking, if, if tax cuts don't go through in some form, this could really spell problems for the party in terms of flipping control of the House uh, for, the, for the 2018 midterms, for even beyond that. I mean, more broadly, as a Republican, do you want to get behind this plan? What are you willing to deal on here? I certainly favor tax reform, and there are certain provisions in the bill that I favor, for example, lowering rates doubling the standard deduction, elimination of the AMT. These are all very good uh, points in the plan, uh, but I hope that we can continue to have the deductibility of, of state and local taxes, and that means there has to be further work, not only work here in the House, Melissa, but also work in the Senate, and I look forward to reviewing the Senate plan when it's released, and I presume that will occur tomorrow. I understand what you like, but in terms of the, the congressman who would like to see the repeal of the SALT deduction, what will you say to them uh, in order to get what you want in the bill? Uh, I think that uh, we need to have uh, further discussion and, and further compromise. And, and I point out that uh, states like New Jersey uh, subsidize the rest of the nation in so many ways, and uh, we get less back for what we give to Washington than any state in the nation. And uh, obviously, I try to represent what is the best interest of my constituents. Uh, let me say that I think that this should be a bill that helps everybody and does not have winners and losers. Are there other parts of the bill that you want to see go away? 
Uh, I would like uh, to see it be as revenue neutral as possible. And I do believe in a modest amount of uh, dynamic scoring because I do think that this will benefit the economy. But I certainly want it to be realistic. And I know that this is uh, the viewpoint of many United States senators as well. Seeing, though, what happened in last night's elections, though, Congressman, are you concerned that there is an appetite here for some change that that the majority that the Republican Party has right now may, in fact, not be as secure as before Tuesday night's elections? And so, therefore, getting something passed on tax is going to be extra important for the next election cycle? Uh, uh, certainly, uh, uh, the elections last night did not go the way as I would like. Uh, we elected a, a Democrat as governor of New Jersey, and a Democrat was elected governor of Virginia. But I point out that in the district I serve, which Hillary Clinton had carried by about 3,800 votes, the Republican candidate for governor of New Jersey carried the district by about 15,000 votes. So I think that those stories can be overwritten, but I certainly think the American people want tax reform, and I think tax reform should benefit all Americans and not pick winner states over loser states. Congressman Lance, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate your time. Thank you, Melissa. Leonard Lance of New Jersey, Republican from New Jersey. Pete, you know, you when think you're taxes are jeopardy? Well, because the yeah. Markets, I, the markets are telling us that maybe something uh, yeah. may not go through. Well, I certainly would, would say so. I mean, this is a Republican who's standing there in front of us, and he's given us all a pretty good laundry list of what he doesn't like in the bill. So revenue neutral is not obviously even on the table right now. I mean, there's a lot of different issues you can see that are going on that makes this seem like... This is not only going to push into 2018, but how much change are they going to be willing to make on, on both sides, quite frankly, the Republicans and the Democrats, to be able to get something done? This is the most important thing that these guys have been working on, and they're not getting anywhere so far. Do you think banks and small caps are really telling us that the markets are concerned about this? I'll tell you, I'll tell you what's telling you the market's concerned about. It's the XLU, the utility ETF, because if... If the market thought this, the tax reform was going to go through, that should be stimulative for the economy, means rates, rates should go higher, which means the XLU should get sold off. The XLU closed effectively at an all-time high today. So that is telling one story. The Russell, although sold off the last couple of days, unsure, a little bit higher today. Mm. If you see a precipitous drop, then it's obviously a dip. You haven't seen it yet. So but what I'm looking at here is the stubbornness of the XLU. Yeah, but I would also add, you know, that's a great point, Guy. But, you know, look at the 10-year yield. It should also be reflective of this growth environment that we're supposedly in. And, and really importantly, the growth environment that a lot of those tax reform projections are made on, that they're going to accelerate. Don't you think our rates are pinned down by the dovishness of the ECB? No doubt about it. But uh -huh. you think about it, we're eight years into a, a recovery, okay? Mm -hmm. And so, so we have a lot of Republicans. Republicans were basing a lot of their estimates on this tax reform on growth that's far higher than we have right now, this late in the recovery. So to me, I know you've been on the same thing. Reform's not happening, and the only way it gets done in 2018 is bipartisan. Still ahead, Square sinking in the after-hour session. This has been one of the hottest stocks this year. It's up 160 percent. We'll hear from CEO Jack Dorsey in just a few minutes. Plus, it's a bird, it's a plane. Nope. <laughs> it's Bitcoin, the cryptocurrency hitting a new all-time high today. Now what, more than 60% in the last month and creeping toward that $8,000 mark. We'll tell you what's behind the move. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on payment company Square. Let's get to Deidre Boson in San Francisco for the details. Deidre. 
Hey, Melissa, well, as you know, payment stocks are on fire this year, and none more so than Square, which is up nearly 170 percent year-to-date. So Square had big shoes to fill this quarter, and even though it beat expectation, shares are a little softer in the after hours, perhaps as investors take some money off the table after that big run. Now, this year, Square has been moving up market and signing up larger merchants that continue to do so in the third quarter. Part of that push was rolling out its new all-in-one hardware offering, Square Register. Now, its largest merchants category, that's businesses that do more than $500,000 in annualized GPV. They now make up a fifth of Square's gross payments volumes. This is an important group, guys, because it boosts Square's core processing revenue, and they're also more likely to buy into OTT offerings, which in turn drives more revenue in Square's subscription and services-based segment. Also, this quarter, the company applied for a banking license as it builds out Square Capital. Its loan business on the earnings call. CEO Jack Dorsey was asked about its strategic purpose and Square's approach to banking. Have a listen. The ILC represents uh, an efficiency for us. Uh, it allows us to, to uh, go faster, um, create more efficiencies in the model, um, but also um, allows us to just take a different tack on our business um, and make sure that we're constantly doing the, the right thing. Dorsey also said that this is typically a year-long process, and he didn't have any updates in that timeline. And lastly, guys, I'm sure you're all tracking this as well. Uh, you have to note that Square's market cap is getting awfully close to that of Dorsey's other company, Twitter. Back over to you. All right, Deidre. Thank you, Deidre Bosa. And these uh, payment stocks, pretty pricey. Square's got a forward P.E. of 154. PayPal's at 40 times earnings. MasterCard 33, Visa 28. So do you keep paying up for these uh, payment stocks? Well, Square, I mean, it's down a little bit on this. This was a very, very good quarter. The only thing wrong with this quarter is that it's on the heels of an enormous stock run. Right. Mm -hmm. Stock is at 25 at the end of the summer. So, I mean, a lot of it really looked good. I mean, the growth was good. All, all the metrics were good. The mix that you talked about, the services, it's all good. It's just, you know, you have to really believe in the growth to, to buy. I'm, I'm long MasterCard. Uh, I think that there's growth in the payment space. They are not at odds with one another, Square and MasterCard. Right. So uh, I like the space. Pete. I love the space as well. Uh, I've not been in Square. I've been in PayPal. I've been in Visa. I've been in MasterCard. I think Visa. Why not Square? You're like a. You know you what? Know, no, it makes sense. And, and I love the growth that guy. they've had. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Um, they all, I think, do trade at premium PE levels, all of them, including Visa, even though that's the lowest. But um, what I love about Visa and, and Master is just that they're transactions. But I'll tell you what, Square is a name that I've probably missed more than anything. I think the opportunity was there, and I probably screwed up and didn't get it. Well, I mean, to Karen's point, with last quarter, this was a $24.5, $25 stock. It's up 41% from last quarter. On a, this quarter is it's a very good quarter, but it's not remarkable in terms of what it did last quarter. There was an extraordinarily similar quarter. So at a certain point, you say to yourself, how much more is left in the name? I do think there's upside as well. And I think Tim recently did that. What do they call the thing? The power push or power fast pitch? pitch. Power the pitch. Fast yeah, pitch. PayPal. The fast pitch. Fast, this right, is fast exactly. Money. Fast pitch. And he talked about the Venmo. And so, you know, you, there's some competition the in the Venmo. space, but everybody seems to be able to play right now. So if they don't sell square off on the back of this quarter, then it continues to ratchet higher in, this, in probably the seemingly the same way. Well, maybe one day you'll just pay for everything with Bitcoin. The cryptocurrency topping the tape today and surging to record highs, nearly eight, nearing $8,000 before pulling back a bit. The move following a potential split in the cryptocurrency, that got called off by the developers. 
which would have caused a landslide of supply. So well, you know what? It's really interesting about that. This summer, when Bitcoin went from 2000 to 4000 it mm -hmm. did it into the first hard fork, okay? And people were thinking, all right, I'm going to buy it into this. I'm going to get, all, for all intents and purposes, a dividend out of it. I'm going to own Bitcoin right. cash. So then Bitcoin... Um, has obviously traded very well since then. It's had this huge rally into this second Segwit to X, all right? So it's called off, and then the thing goes up 11%. I think a lot of people were thinking it was going to go the other way. At this point, there's nothing that can stop it. I am by no means an expert. That's our main man, BK, here. But to me, I would have thought the knee-jerk reaction when they called off the second fork would be down, hmm. not up 10%. Yeah, Can't. agree. I mean, it seemed like it was up when it was going to happen, then up when they called it off. So that's a great situation <laughs> to be in, that no matter what happens, it trades up. All that having been said, however, I had to take some money off the table. I really? mean, I have no particular, you know, insight into where Bitcoin is trading in the short term, but you're just being disciplined, you know, and uh, have to take some money off the I'll, table. I'm just curious, how long have you been in Bitcoin since uh, it was? Since, I don't know, January, February? January, February, and yeah. at that point it was what? what it like was nine or eight hundred thousand. Oh, but you know what? It's wow. actually BK has done a masterful job. He's done it for me. He has done a great job between being in cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin. Right. So and, Litecoin, yes. Ethereum, and Bitcoin. Right, and others. And others. Kudos to BK. All right, still ahead. It is the one surging stock that Wall Street can't seem to catch up to. What are analysts getting wrong? We'll have a special report. Plus, a surprising sector just hit all-time highs today. REITs and the performance was driven largely by three names. We'll tell you what they are and if any of the traders are buying them. More Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. There is one surging tech stock that Wall Street just can't seem to catch up with. So let's get to a man who we can't seem to catch up with, Dom Chu in the newsroom. Hey, Dom. <laughs> well, Melissa, I'm definitely easy to catch up with, especially if you compare me to the likes of what's going on with NVIDIA. Uh, we'll call it the, maybe the Usain Bolt of stocks. It's been on fire for the better part of three years now, plus years at this point. The single best performing stock in the S&P 500 last year. It's still right now the sixth best performing stock so far this year, heck, even Jim Cramer named his dog NVIDIA. It's gone so far so fast that even the analysts who cover the stock seem like they're playing catch-up. Or are they? According to data from FactSet, NVIDIA shares are currently trading 14% above their average analyst target price. Nearly half of analysts who cover the stock say it's a buy. 38% say it's a hold. And just 14% say it's an outright sell. Now, for added context... The highest estimate tracked by FactSet comes via Needham, also Evercore ISI, and B. Riley, who all have $250 price targets. The lowest on the street is Wells Fargo Securities, which has a $75 price tag on it. Which begs the question, will analysts now up their targets even more to where shares are at now or perhaps higher? Or, Melissa, do the downgrades actually start happening given that swift move higher? Back over to you. All right, Dom, thank you. Dom Chu, back in the newsroom. So, uh, Pete, we'll go to you. You love the chips. Yeah, you I do. NVIDIA? It's an incredible space. I love the company. I just can't get my arms around it a lot like a lot of us have passed up on Amazon over the years. Uh, Micron, I'm in. Intel, mm -hmm. I'm in. I like those names. I can see the valuation levels, and I can see the growth levels, and I like what I'm looking at there. Right. NVIDIA, I just can't do it at these levels. Report tomorrow after the bell. I know we started the year saying if they get half of what they're trying to do right, the stock is a double. And effectively, that's really what's happened. So the report again after the bell tomorrow, I'm looking a couple different things, but margins to me are going to be somewhat interesting. But I would look at it this way. If you've been in the name at all, you've done well. There's nothing wrong, in my opinion, with taking some money off the table, 
into earnings tomorrow afternoon. If you miss the next 5% to the upside, it happens. But I think at this point, the downside outweighs the upside. As Guy mentioned, uh, NVIDIA is reporting earnings after the bell tomorrow. The options market's actually implying some pretty big moves. So, Dan, why don't you head over to the plasma? Okay, will do, Mel. Thanks. Uh, yeah, so the <laughs> options market is implying about a $16 move in either direction. Uh, that's Friday, just Friday alone. Um, okay, that's guys? about 8%. Yeah, right. On average, the stock has moved about 14% um, over the last four quarters. There's been a couple big moves, and there's been a couple small moves in that one. So, um, to me, you know, kind of like what guys said here, you know, at this point, up 95% of the year, up more than 200% um, last year in 2016. Who knows where the thing could go? It's trading at 14 um, times sales, which is a pretty hefty uh, multiple. It's $125 billion market cap. I think that's the second largest listed U.S. semiconductor stock behind Intel here. Um, so to me, this one's a pretty dicey kind of setup. I just want to kind of go to the chart. This is the one year. Look at this. This was the gap lower 5% after they reported on uh, August 10th, their Q2 earnings. Since then, the stock's up 35%. I think it kind of incorporates a good print and a good guidance here. So to me, when you're setting up in this one, um, if you've been long and you're up 95% on the year, that sort of thing, and you're thinking about holding on until the new year, you may want to consider a collar against your long stock, selling an out-of-the-money call and buying an uh, out-of-the-money put. That way you can participate to the upside and you have some protection to the downside. Again, $125 billion market cap that basically has doubled this year. So to me, I think it makes sense to look uh, to some cautious ways to protect your gains. All right, thanks for that, Dan. For more options action, check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, four under-the-radar stocks help push REITs to all-time highs today. We'll tell you what they are and if any of the traders are buying them when Fast Money returns. Breaking news here on the GOP tax plan. Let's get back to Elon Moy in D.C. Elon. Melissa, two sources telling me that House Republicans are actively considering including a repeal of the individual mandate in their tax bill. Now, this could come in an amendment that would be offered tomorrow or perhaps during House debate on the floor next week. And remember, Republicans are searching for money to pay for the tax cuts in their plan. A new CBO estimate that came out today said that repealing the individual mandate would raise $338 billion in revenue over the next 10 years. But of course, Republicans risk muddying the waters of tax reform by including the debate over health care in it. But again, House Republicans actively considering including the repeal of the individual mandate in the tax bill. Back over to you, Melissa. Elon, was it just yesterday or the day before that you reported that five Republican senators wanted to do the same thing? Yeah, so this is happening here on the House side. Right. On the Senate side, still an open question. There seems to be growing support for including this measure in the Senate bill as well. Huh. All right, Elon. Thank you, Elon Moy in Washington, D.C. As Elon had put it, it adds complexity to oh. this whole thing, which yeah. is already com complex. Already That's complex. And the, and the idea of trying to get it done by year end was already quite a stretch. To throw this wrinkle, which is huge, I think makes it impossible. It basically ensures that you will get no Democrats involved. And we know that they're really working hard on the Democrats. So this is not happening. They're like the gang that can't shoot straight. They already made a mess of health care. Why make a mess of this thing that's already so difficult as far as let's tax? let's go back to the sectors that might have been signaling that they are concerned already about tax reform. KRE has been down four straight sessions already. So banks have been having some trouble. Russell has been having some trouble. You mentioned the high in utilities here is signaling. What happens tomorrow, you think, the bond mar the, Again, Dan, meant, Dan dovetailed what I said. We talked about the bond market. We brought that up. I mean, the, the yield curve continues to flatten. That is alarming. Again, if the economy was as strong as 
Everything suggests that it should be going the other way. It's not, so I'm watching that. And if there's a rollover in the IWM tomorrow on the back of those comments. I'll tell you what, any more of a pullback, I think, in the financials, and I think they're a buy again. And I say that because of the fact that when I look what at what... What pullback are you talking about? Well, please? we've only had, what, about 4%. I think, Dan, you did the math for us yeah. on that thing, well, 4%. Yeah. I'm looking at Bank of America, J.P. Morgan, all the rest of them. I have not been seeing the paper come flowing into the, any of those names either. And since earnings, I, I, we have not seen that. I still love the financials. And on this pullback, I am looking for the opportunity to jump and back. I just in sound like a broken record here, but I guess what we're seeing here is we're seeing one defeat after another on this legislative thing, and then they're sooner or later going to get to the regula regulatory stuff. And so, you know, if they don't get tax done, then Gary Cohen, your globalist, is going to be out of the National Economic uh, Advisor, you know, <laughs> and, and then all of a sudden you're not going to have the, the, the push that you want on regulation. So the banks may be done for now. I mean, you, they had been consolidating after a big, big run, then they had that breakout. Um, so let's but, say, let's say. What everything that Dan says is right. Let's make that little no, leap. No, just, that. just now, oh, when it comes okay. to the financials. Yes. Is the financial trade done? Is it done? Maybe in the short term, but what, I'm not going to like trade around tomorrow's tax news or the day after's tax news. I mean, a lot of things going on. Rates have right. come in, right? And this tax thing. And they ran up a lot. So that's uh, so right. I'm the pause. On. And regulation, I think, you know, that, that's getting overplayed. That's not built in. Final trade next. You know, we were talking about NVIDIA, the chips, mm. Cuervo. This thing's going higher. I bought some today. I already trimmed some this afternoon, but it's going higher. Chairwoman. And if we see the bank sell off more tomorrow, I still like letter C. That'll be an opportunity to buy some. Dan Nathan. Yeah, retail, XRT, I think is selling on any rally. Guy. Hi. Yes, hi. I'll get eviscerated, I'm sure, but JWN into <laughs> oh, earnings. Oh, wow. I love you for that. Bold. No, it's Bold. Yeah. All right. Bold. Eviscerated. I'm Melissa Lee. Thanks for watching. <laughs> See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Mad Money starts right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.